good morning. Our scripture reading this morning, I am on, right, is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 14. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet this widow keeps bothering me. I will see that she gets justice so that she won't, e- can, she won't, even, she won't eventually come back and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust said. I will not, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? To some who were confident of their righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Good morning. I'm not sure where the other mic went, so I'm stuck with this one today. So, good morning. Um, You would think with two parables, it would be easy to come up with a children's message. (laughs) Wrong. (laughs) So, let's see what you can come up with, with what I brought. So, I have sneakers, basketball shoes, and salt. Any thoughts? A lot of walking to do? <laughs> I, I don't think my feet would fit in these. Um, hmm? Yeah, no, I, I know. Well, I happened to find this book. As you know, I love the library. And this title intrigued me, uh, Salt in His Shoes. And it looks like a little boy who's playing basketball. Right? So, let's see what happens with salt in your shoes. Anybody know this story? What do you think will happen if you put salt in your shoes? What do you think? Say it again. Ah, keeps them from getting wet. Absolutely. The salt absorbs the, the, all the sweat in there, right? Well, let's see. This is really awkward with the pan mic, so bear with me. 
So the story starts out with this boy, and he plays basketball with the other kids in the neighborhood, but he's kind of small. Uh, he's got two brothers that are a little older than he is, so they let him tag along. But this, this kid here, he uh, doesn't give the little guy a chance. Are you going to be my mic stand? Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Awesome. So um, the game is down to one point. And guess who has the ball? The little kid. And guess what? He doesn't make it. So on the way home, his brothers are trying to console him and say, you know, you played really well. We just lost the game, but that's okay. When he gets home, he tells his mother about it. And he says, I just need to get taller. Because if I were taller, then that kid wouldn't have knocked the ball out of my hand. So the mother says, well, I think I know what to do. Every night, you say your prayers. And you ask God to make you taller. And we're going to put salt in your shoes. Okay. I still haven't figured out the salt yet. But she was putting salt on the chicken. I think that's where that came from. So he thinks about that and he says, I don't know if that's going to work or not. But he looks out the windows and he sees the roses that Mama grew from little bitty plants to these big, beautiful climbing roses. He said, well, if she knows something about growing roses, maybe she knows something about growing me. So these pages are stuff. Page turner, too. There we go. Uh, so he starts thinking about this praying and salt, and he's so distracted at dinner that he doesn't want to eat. But Mama says, you need to eat. You need to eat your vegetables. And so he does. And at night, he says his prayers, and he prays to be taller. And Mama puts salt in his shoes. And then Mama also prays, which I think is really kind of cool. And then, instead of going to the park to play basketball, he decides that he's going to practice and get better. And for two months, he practices and practices and prays. And Mama puts salt in his shoes. And Mama prays. And he doesn't grow. Hmm. Sounds a little familiar to the widow that keeps trying, keeps going, keeps asking, and nothing happens. Well... Finally, he's so sad that dad talks to him and says, you know what, you've been practicing a lot. Maybe you should try again. And so he decides to go to the game. The game's already started. They're down by one point again. And somebody falls and hurts themselves. And so they have to put him in the game. And... That big kid's still there, but he manages to get a two-point shot and wins the game. And there's the game winning. On the way home, he says, the brothers tell him that he won the game. And he said, no, we won the game. I just was the star. <laughs> Anybody know who this, this little child is? Any guesses? Anybody know who that is? Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Um, this is a true story. Um, not too sure how the salt helped, 
except that I think that the fact that mother was supporting him in his efforts and him in his prayers. He was praying, she was praying. The salt was just a, sm a small act of, I believe in you. We've got this. We're together, and we can do this. And I think that sometimes we need some sort of action. The widow prayed, and she went. She prayed, and she went. She did an action. Um, the Pharisee, mm, well, we're not going to go with him. We're going to go with the tax collector. He prayed, and he beat his chest, saying, I'm not worthy. Help me. Sometimes we need something a little more tangible to help us realize that our prayers are really being heard and they're really being addressed. Maybe not overnight or maybe not in two months, but over time, God's hearing. He's working in our lives. Sometimes he needs us to do something like practice to make our skills stronger, but he's always got an answer for us. We just have to be humble enough to wait and we need to be persistent enough to keep asking. Now, did Michael Jordan continue to do that? We don't know. We know that he's had his ups and his downs, but we're not going to go there. We're just going to think about the fact that a little boy and his mother and their prayers and a little bit of salt helped him reach the goal that he had. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are always there for us, that you always hear us, and you're always doing something, even if it seems to take forever. Help us to be patient. Help us to be faithful so that when you do come, you will find that we have been faithful. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Since the song says so, let's take it to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you again. Uh, I ask that you will help us to see from your word what you have for us today and that you will help us to live it out. I pray that you will help me to speak clearly and um, please begin to transform our lives from here. In Jesus' name, amen. So when things happen like happened this week, um, any of the things, there is often a giant argument online where there's a group of people saying we're gonna our thoughts and prayers are with the victims and there's another group of people saying we just need to get rid of guns and i've talked about this here before and i think sometimes um you guys no matter where you are because i don't think everybody here has the same perspective on things um, as me or as each other but sometimes i think you hear me saying something that i'm not actually saying <laughs> Um, I am not actually making a statement about gun control. I'm trying to challenge us on the prayer piece because that is where really we need to take things seriously. This is the place that we can all be involved and we can all do something. The problem with the thoughts and prayers perspective from my, from my perspective is a lot of the people who say that publicly are not actually doing it. You know what I mean? It's really easy to say, I am praying about that. I am praying for those people, and I'm praying about this situation, and that's as far as it goes. We know that prayer is really powerful. It is not nothing.
to say, I am praying for this situation. But it is nothing if we're not going to actually pray about it. And I am not saying that's what happens here, but I do think that's what happens on the national stage. And that's why people on the other side get angry, because clearly there's a problem. We, we can agree that shooting a bunch of kids and teachers and how regularly this happens is a problem. It should not happen, right? And so I, my, I'm going to tell you my conclusion at the beginning, <laughs> and then we're going to look at these parables because they're actually related to this topic. Um, I believe that as Christians, no matter what political party you feel the most comfortable with, I would say neither in my case, um, the... <laughs> The thing that we have to do is really pray and then listen to God because he's the one that's going to tell us what we have to do to change things in the world. God isn't going to magic this away. We are going to have to do something. But we're not going to know what it is until we spend some time listening to him in prayer and being persistent in prayer. So, um, I think we, I've already said, the people who fought and died for this country surely didn't think that this craziness is what they were sacrificing themselves for. And so we're going to look at these two parables that Barb read for us and um, see what they might have to say to our situation now. Um, we always talk about the frame story. We've been talking about parables for a few weeks now. This is actually the sixth sermon, and we have a few more. Um, and there's always a setting that the parables happen in. So the frame story for this isn't so much a story as Jesus is teaching in the, parable, in the passage before, and he's talking, as he often does, about the coming of God's kingdom. And it's a little unclear whether he's talking about end times, his second coming, or if he's talking about the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70, it's never really clear when Jesus talks about the coming of the kingdom, probably because he's talking about both. Um, but for the people that he's talking to in the story, they would be hearing, he's not talking about something in the way distant future. He's not saying he's coming a second time. He's just talking about some destruction that's hap that's about to come and also what the what God's kingdom coming should look like. And then immediately from that he tells two parables. And the first parable there's this feisty widow who has some kind of adversary. We don't know what her adversary was doing. She just calls him an adversary and she keeps nagging this judge who's really selfish and doesn't really care about right and wrong until he finally gives in. And then the second parable, there's an arrogant Pharisee and a humble tax collector, and they're both praying in the temple. Um, off the top of your heads, do you see a connection between these two stories? Nothing. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> they don't automatically seem to go with each other or necessarily with the story that, uh, with the teaching that Jesus is doing beforehand, but they actually do connect. First of all, both stories show us something about prayer. And we talked about prayer earlier this year, right? We had a whole 
series on prayer. Um, and we also talked in the series before that, we talked about temple, and temple being the, um, the meeting of heaven and earth, the connection between God and humans. And so, and prayer is kind of the vehicle through which that happens. And so Jesus is really kind of talking about all of this. Like, what does it look like to interact with God, to bring his kingdom, the outworking of his kingdom to earth now? Not just when he comes back the second time. That's not in these people's minds. Jesus is talking about something to do with life now. These parables also show us a little bit about human nature. Once again, we could be any of these characters. We could be the widow. We could be the unjust judge. We could be the tax collector. We could be the Pharisee. They all have, they all show us different things about human nature. Um, and sometimes we're all of those characters at the same time or a combination of them, depending on the situation, but we could be any one of them. They also, these parables also show us something about God and what God is like, and they give us a glimpse of what God's kingdom coming and God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven needs to look like. And what they, both of them, maybe the first one a little bit more obviously, but both of them show us is that God's kingdom is a kingdom of justice, which is connected to this idea of shalom. So in English, we usually translate the word, the Hebrew word shalom as peace, but it's bigger than just absence of conflict. It means complete well-being. Everything is the way it should be. Um, the things that are just are being done. There are not unfair things being done. And that is a characteristic of God's kingdom that he is going to bring when he comes back, but that he wants his people to bring in the meantime. And both of these parables also show us that those characteristics of the kingdom of God come about in the world now through the humility and the stubborn persistence of God's people. So let's look at this persistent widow first. Um, the Matthew or Luke 14 says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable. So he's talking to his disciples, and he tells them about this lady. How do you picture this lady? Does she, like, if you were going to kind of imagine this story for yourself, what is, what is she like to you? What does she feel like? Bernice? <laughs> She's like Bernice. <laughs> In what way is she like Bernice? Strong. Yeah. What's that? Pain in the neck? <laughs> that was Bernice who said that. She is a widow, yep. Yeah, Jesus tells us she's a widow. Um, and that's probably why she is um, being, she has an adversary, because in, that, in those days, and actually sometimes even today, a widow doesn't have as much recourse to taking care of herself. She, especially back then, but even now, um, she, doesn't have, she doesn't have a husband to provide for her, and she may not have kids. It doesn't seem like there are kids in this story, so either she doesn't have them or something happened, because you know this happens in families sometimes where kids and, and parents don't interact anymore. And so 
she doesn't have anyone to stand up for her, so she has to do it herself. And Bernice is a good comparison. I was actually, we, were, we celebrated Nancy Dolan's life on Wednesday, and I was kind of thinking of Nancy, because Nancy is also a strong woman, and she, um, as came out in her son's eulogy and a few other people's comments, um, she was stubbornly unwilling to accept injustice for herself or for other people. She would stand up for other people. And so that's kind of who I was picturing while I was reading this parable. Um, it's interesting that this widow that Jesus tells us about, even though, you know, society worked such that a widow in those times, a woman in those times, wouldn't have a whole lot of her own resources. She probably wouldn't have a job. She wouldn't be able to provide for herself. That's how society worked, and kind of sometimes still how it works. Um, let me just tell you that when I was a single woman, I it was a lot harder for me to support myself. <laughs> so, the, And I have a lot of friends who are still in that situation. So this happens. That's how society works, but the woman herself recognizes that it's unjust. And I'm using these terms because these are the words that Jesus uses. He's talking about justice here. And so she appears somehow to have enough sense of her own value as a human being that she wants to continue to be able to live a reasonable life. She's not asking for luxury. She's asking for legal help against someone who is opposing or oppressing her. She says to this judge, over and over and over again, apparently, grant me justice against my adversary. She is asking for shalom. She's asking for well-being, which is the essence of the kingdom of God. So, what is the deal with this judge? What is wrong with him? Describe him. He does not care. Right. Jesus calls him unjust and says he has no respect for God and he doesn't care about people. Which means, probably, he only cares about himself. And actually, he says that. For some reason, I find it really funny when Jesus has his parable characters talk to themselves. Um, he did that with the rich fool in that one parable where the guy says, Soul, you have plenty stored up for yourself. Well, in this case, this judge says, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. That attacking me part struck me, no pun intended, um, because I had never read that translation before. Um, I think in previous translations of maybe even the NIV or other other translations, it says she's going to wear me out. But I was reading a commentary this week, and it turns out that literally this translates, so she won't eventually come and give me a black eye. <laughs> so this guy is saying, even though I don't care about anybody but myself, or maybe because I care only about myself, I will give up, give her what she wants because... She's getting ridiculous, and I don't want her to beat me up. This is kind of funny, too. This judge is afraid of being beat up by a widow. Um, but he is also, in what he says to himself, he's also admitting 
that the woman deserves what she is asking for and that he is being unjust by not giving it to her because he says, I will see that she gets justice. He knows what the right thing to do for this lady is. He just doesn't really want to do it, but okay, I guess I will because otherwise he's going to beat me up. And then Jesus wraps this parable up by making three maybe surprising statements. The first thing he says is, listen to what the unjust judge says, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. Why, is he, why does he want us to listen to this unjust judge? Well, sometimes you can learn something from the bad guys. Um, there's another parable coming up in a couple weeks, which I'm actually really not looking forward to preaching on because I'm not sure how to do it, but um, <laughs> where the bad guy is the main character. And sometimes Jesus teaches us stuff by what not to do or by flipping um, what the bad guy does or says. So listen to what the unjust judge says. Then Jesus says, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Well, I think we can say there have been a few things this week that have either happened or come to light that are not just, and we keep facing them over and over and over again. So what is this deal? Is God really seeing that we get justice quickly? Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? I guess that's the other question. Are we crying out to him day and night on behalf of the victims of injustice? Jesus is kind of making a convoluted argument here. He's comparing God to the villain in this story by saying God is not like the villain. He's kind of saying something like, and I'm going to borrow a Lorna term, even if this jerk face of a judge <laughs> will not, will eventually give a stubborn person justice, how much more likely is God, who is just, bring about justice for his people? And then he says the third surprising thing, because, and it's surprising because it doesn't seem like it fits. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What in the world does that have to do with this parable? However, what? Does anybody actually believe? But what does that have to do with this woman asking for justice repeatedly? Okay. So there's something that requires faith to keep asking and keep asking and keep asking until you see a result. But I think there's something else going on here. In the book of James, James was most likely the James who was Jesus' brother, and we did a sermon series a couple years ago on the book of James and found out that almost everything he says comes straight from the teaching of Jesus. And James says, faith without works is dead. The people of God, who are God's children by faith, are tasked with bringing the kingdom of God, with bringing justice, with bringing shalom. And so, if we are praying and if we have faith, it is going to come out in our actions somehow. So, 
it's almost like Jesus is saying, if, or, or he's saying, even an unjust judge will grant justice under the right conditions. Will God's people? He's comparing God to the unjust just judge, but he's also comparing his people to the unjust judge. Are we going to look more like God or like the judge or like neither? Here's something I've brought up before in the past, but it probably needs to be restated. Righteousness and justice in the Bible are basically the same thing. Today, you will find churches who emphasize justice, and then you will find churches who emphasize morality as if they're two different things, but according to the Bible, according to Jesus, and even in the Old Testament, these two things are not different things, and righteousness is the word that umbrellas both things. So, the people of Jesus are meant to be living the reality of the kingdom of heaven now. Don't let anyone tell you that justice is not part of the gospel. The gospel means good news, and it is not just about what happens after this life. It's what happens in this life leading to the next life. And so when Jesus talked about the gospel, his message was the kingdom of heavens of the heavens is near or is here or is coming. In the kingdom of God, morality does not exist without justice, and justice does not exist without morality. So if you emphasize one or the other, you're missing the gospel. The two things go together. The judge in this story is immoral, and he is unrighteous because he is withholding justice from the widow. So in a way, Jesus is challenging how we picture God. Do we think God is like this? Maybe sometimes we think that. But God is not like this. God is just. He will provide justice for his people. So when Jesus says, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He's asking, will we find, like you said, faith that is as persistent as the widow's was? Faith that works? Like James says, faith that prays insistently for justice to our just judge, the way the widow kept hassling the unjust one. For God's chosen ones who are tasked with bringing his kingdom influence to the world, prayer for justice must be stubborn. We got to do it. And our prayer must influence our actions. Faith on earth is faith that works for the well-being and the shalom of others. And then we'll try to go through this one quicker, but the Pharisee and the tax collector. First Jesus, at first it says, Jesus said his, to his disciples, and he tells them the story of this widow. And then it says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. It could have been the Pharisees. There's a Pharisee in the story. We sometimes think that that's who he's telling this to, but it could have been some of his disciples who were like, oh, well, we're the chosen ones. And so that's pretty awesome. But not all of these people are chosen ones. 
sometimes when we start to get cleaned up by Jesus, but we're not fully transformed by Jesus, and so our, our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions aren't totally like Jesus, we get a little self-satisfied with ourselves, and we compare ourselves with others who don't seem to be quite as far along as we are. I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not like that person. That is what's going on in this story. We have this Pharisee, and he is, uh, Walter Liefeld says, this guy's prayer expresses the essence of Phariseeism, which is separation from others. And that this separation originally came from a pretty good place. This guy and the other Pharisees often didn't want to be contaminated. They didn't want to be compromised by what was going on in the world around them. They didn't want to be influenced by immorality of the surrounding Gentile world or the immorality that was sneaking into the Jewish world. It's kind of like some of what we see in culture wars today, where you know we try really hard in our churches to be um, people of, of good faith, people of goodness and morality, and we don't really want to have to deal with any of that stuff outside that um, could compromise us. This isn't a terrible impulse, but as Liefeld says, this initial good hardened into obnoxious self-righteousness on the part of many, not all, Pharisees. This Pharisee's prayer was a joke, being created only in himself. He mentions God only in the beginning of the prayer. He basically says, Dear God, thank you for how awesome I am. I'm awesome, I'm awesome, I'm awesome. That's his, that's, I mean, read the prayer, that's pretty much what he's saying. God is not interested in a spirituality or a religiosity which is only dependent on us. That is really not his point, or that is about him in words only. Dear God, thank you for making me awesome. I am so awesome. That's really not what God wants. The purpose of God choosing any people at all has always br been to bring his loving shalom rule to earth, overturning our rule of ourselves, as we talked about last week. So the Pharisee is moral. He even does good works. He fasts, and he tithes, and clearly he prays to somebody, but he's not working for kingdom justice or praying to or about anyone but himself, really. He uses the word God, but he's not really praying to God. He's in the temple, but it's not really about God. The tax collector, on the other hand, is a social outcast. He's not a nobody like the widow in the first story. Everyone knows who the tax collector is because he's been taking their money. He's got some clout because he's rich, but he is a collaborator with Rome. So the Pharisee says that he's glad that he's not like robbers, evildoers, or even like this tax collector. He's not lumping the tax collector in with the robbers and the evildoers, but he doesn't want to be like him either. The tax collector is not moral. The tax collector is not just. He is not righteous. But he knows it. He knows that his true measure, which is a sinner, 
that that is the thing that keeps him from God, and yet he is bold enough and humble enough to go before God and admit it. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's who he is. Only God can help him out. And Jesus tells us he goes home justified by God. Justified. God's mercy actually makes us justified. (laughs) So, what God wants of his people in this world to bring his shalom rule is humility and stubbornness. Isaiah 57, 15 says, For this is what the high and exalted one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. This verse and these two parables combined give us insight about how to move forward in our laments about what is happening around us how to bring kingdom justice, and how to be kingdom justified. God is exalted. God is holy. God is separate and different and far above us. And we need to come before him remembering who he is and who we are. We need to be humble, we need to be repentant, and we need to be respectful when we come before God. God is just, and on our own, we are not. God is also good, God is moral, God is righteous, and on our own, we are not. But we can be justified by God. We can be just and moral. We can be righteous when our our identity is in God, when we can acknowledge before God that we have nothing in ourselves to make us righteous. God will justify us. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. When we are justified by him and trusting our exalted God who also came to be one of us, to live with us, to show us how to be his kingdom and bring his kingdom, we can be humbly confident enough to be stubborn. And we can keep coming before God And keep praying with faith that God will bring justice here. Shalom, well-being on earth as it is in heaven, even now, even before Jesus returns. So, my challenge to myself and to all of you is let's pray for an end to gun violence. Let's pray for an end to church sexual abuse. Let's pray for an end to racism and misogyny among God's chosen ones. And then, when God hears us and gets ready to bring his justice, he will bring it through his chosen ones who are obedient to do whatever he says. I don't know what that is. I don't think you know what that is. I don't think the internet or the politicians or anybody knows what that is, but I do think that God will be quick to bring justice as we, like that widow, pester him about it and are open to doing what he shows us to do. This is the call of Christians to bring God's shalom to earth. 
So let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are a God of mercy and justice. Thank you that you are planning to rule this earth once and for all, but you really want us to be getting it ready in the meantime. You want to find faith on the earth when the Son of Man comes. And Lord, I pray that you will give us wisdom and show us how we, in our own small ways, in our own small community, can pray and act the way Jesus would in these situations. We do pray for an end to gun violence. Lord, we ask that you will bring true righteousness and virtue to your church and an end to sexual abuse. We pray that you will bring an end to racism and to misogyny among your people. We pray that you will make us like Jesus. In his name, amen.